0: welcome to here are the nominees i am brent joined as usual by david david how are you i'm doing great how are you uh i'm doing great as well this episode we're going to do something a little different which is we're going to uh delay our um our review of a mighty wind until the second part of the episode and uh, we're going to start off by talking about last night's 94th academy awards at least last night as we're recording this and uh the, the, we'll talk a little bit about the ceremony and about the winners and the losers. So uh, first off, just a general general thought on the ceremony. David, uh, w- w- did you enjoy these Oscars? <laughs> it's, I, it's a tough word for this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I tend to always enjoy the Oscars, the ones that are the worst and the ones that are the best. I still enjoy them. It's like pizza. Bad pizza is still pizza to me. You know, you you get something out of it. Um, This, more than some, was a little tough to um, really enjoy completely for for a lot of reasons. Um, I was... uh, Short answer, I still liked it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's still the Oscars. Yeah. I was
1: surprisingly into it for about the first kind of two-thirds of the show first half of the show uh-huh. I thought the uh, the three hosts um, Wanda Sykes Amy Schumer and uh, Regina Hall I thought they were they had a really pretty funny opening monologue that made me actually laugh uh, so that's that's a plus over over some of them I thought uh, the bits comedy bits started going downhill pretty fast after that yes. <laughs> um i will give uh i will give amy schumer so much credit and wanted to come back just because of the joke she made about don't look up <laughs> which was my favorite of the night
0: did she get I, to deliver the apparently they didn't look up the critics the reviews yeah. okay. apparently yeah. voters don't look up reviews yeah that's a that was a great great line
1: and the and the the cut to Adam McCage leading back just laughing at it, yeah. like you do it a joke,
0: right? Okay, well, it would be weird if we didn't mention the biggest story of the, of the entire night, but um, the 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 Will Smith Chris Rock moment. Um, you know, I don't have I don't have any real hot takes, and I don't want to get too deep into that. I just think it was a a poorly handled moment from multiple sides. And that's about how I feel about it. I mean, I think a lot of the discourse has been, you wind up trying to defend one side versus the other when I don't, I don't really have any interest in doing so. It's Uh, a false dichotomy
1: that that means one side is right. Yeah. And one side is is wrong. Uh, Both can be wrong or both can be whatever Mm -hmm. um i'm with you this isn't really a a gotcha takey kind of podcast and to freeze a lot of the takes in amber right now with with an ongoing situation you know i was i was prepared to i was like doing some notes and then as the day was going by there was new new news on it, you know, emergency academy meetings, there's an apology, like, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on right now that it's just, it'll just be embarrassing to just freeze, like I said, freeze a take in Amber that we know definitively what's going on at this point. It's it's not Oscar that its finest, I think I can no, say that kind right. of definitively.
0: Yeah. Um, plus, I think everybody, it's kind of been discussed to death already, even in 24 hours, that... how much more do we really have to add to the, um, to the conversation? Uh, what hasn't been discussed, I think as a result of that, what hasn't been discussed is the rest of the ceremony and the myriad issues that had, um, and the actual, um, awards themselves, which, um, on a rough night for Oscar, uh, I don't think it was a great night for the awards, but I also don't think it was just a horrible night. I don't think there were any, like, embarrassing awards, but, um, can I? Can I? While we're still talking about the ceremony in general, before we get to the awards, can I just uh, I, on my on the same page? I do my notes for a mighty wind and uh, young girls of Rochefort. I also did um, Oscar notes last night, and so these are just Brent's stray thoughts during the Oscar ceremony. Um, when you mentioned the bits going downhill quickly, boy, did they go downhill fast for me. Um, I was just appalled at. Um, Regina Hall's bit about sexually assaulting a handful of attendees from the audience uh, in the name of COVID testing, and it really rubbed me the wrong way. I am shocked that they did that bit in 2022.
1: Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> didn't it didn't offend me that much. Yeah, um, a lot. I guess I, I have no problem with people that that didn't really you know didn't really care for it. It wasn't particularly funny. No. Didn't particularly offend me. There's the, uh, I just, I don't like the imaginary argument about something, about some things that are like, if, if he was a man and it was women, it would be different. I was like, yeah, it would be a different context and Mm -hmm. obviously wouldn't do that joke. And there's a different inherent power, power dynamic in play, but it's still like, you know, it is not great, but it didn't really ruffle my feathers, I guess.
0: Yeah. I don't know if if it ruffled my feathers as much as it. I sat there thinking, "Who greenlit this?" Mm. Uh, for the entirety of that of that joke,
1: it um, went on. It was like a perfect SNL sketch. It went on way too long, and I lost the thread of what it was trying to do.
0: And it didn't know how to end.
1: Did not know how to end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so second. Um, BTS was uh, on this award show at one point. They talked about how they loved, uh, speaking of Will Smith, they loved Aladdin. They loved his take on Aladdin, which mm-hmm. was a movie I did not expect to hear come up at the 94th Academy Awards. That was odd. Um, I think that ties into the whole, this this attempt to get maybe Gen Z more involved in these Oscars, which was, uh, it was just a really bizarre uh Segment of the evening when you had the Oscar fan favorite films and the Oscars cheer moments. Um, which I don't know if you were including those in the awards categories, but I was not, I wanted to hit those before. Um, <laughs> so
1: yeah, uh, yeah, can, can you... we, we have to talk about them? And they are <laughs> definitely not actual awards that should be legitimized in any way.
0: Do you know, do you have any idea how the five fan favorites were decided? rather i mean i i assume the five were ordered by some fan vote but how was were they culled from a larger list
1: um for the best of 2021 as voted by the fans there was a larger list of 10 i think they narrowed it down from all manner of spam bots stan accounts and like mishmash across the world into 10 and it did include like dune and power of the dog i know some of those were were ones that were outside the top top five here they narrowed it down and to the academy's credit they um you never invite the internet into your <laughs> no into your into your prestige ceremony it's the Bodie mcboat face of of awards the internet will ruin it for you um to their credit they could have taken out the likes of minamata but they left it in um do you think they would if they were going to do that? If they were going to, you know, just have Oscar movies and Spider-Man be your top 5. But to their credit of I don't know, maybe just taking their medicine for this, they did uh it seems legitimate.
0: <laughs> okay. I think the funniest thing about Minamata being in this list of the best of 2021 is this film made its debut at uh, I think a film festival in twenty yeah the Berlin International Film Festival in twenty twenty. It was released in Britain in twenty twenty one. It was released in the U S. in February of twenty twenty two. So this movie was not available to U S. audiences last year at all, and it. Um, now I'm looking at the Minamata Wikipedia page, and the very last uh, the very last uh, sentence of the opening paragraph is at the 94th academy awards the film ranked third place in the oscar fan favorite contest so this is a thing that will be forever etched in wikipedia pages for minamata and cinderella um and others my, and it's bizarre
1: my favorite bit of minamata trivia other than the fact that it apparently exists is that uh, on Box Office Mojo, I looked at it, it said it made $1.7 million. Wow. And I said, well, that's uh, that seems like a lot, but I think that's more than like, you know, some of these streaming movies made. Uh-huh. Um, One million of that came from its release in Slovakia alone. <laughs> that's like, you know, nearly nearly 50% of the film's gross is from a single um, country. You don't really think of as having a booming market
0: and to the fans credit it doesn't seem to be a terrible movie it has a 77 percent on Rotten Tomatoes Metacritic has a instead of 55 it seems to be a, a a middling to uh even okay film it's just uh it's just a really bizarre movie to see, to see here um I think you know Army of the Dead won the award at quote award and uh, i think that's of course the Zack snyder fan base who we'll see more of on the next uh, little set of five winners but um what do you think drove Minamata? what online community pushed this into this top five because it's a really strange type of film to expect to beat out spider man
1: oh it's it's the johnny depp fans
0: that's the thing okay like
1: uh the crazy Crazy big fans talking about boycotting the rest of the uh, crimes of Grindelwald movies because they replaced him because of the <laughs> domestic abuse thing, and a lot of them becoming amateur uh, sleuths to try to like parse body language that Amber Heard was was lying in here. They can prove it, and all kinds of weird toxic stuff. That's uh, stuff I don't really wanna look at sure the Johnny Depp fan base. surprisingly is kind of toxic and obsessed
0: okay good to know uh, well yeah I that was dare that, them to come <laughs> for me that was, tr- that was truly weird but even weirder was the Oscars cheer moment where they didn't really give us any context these were just the five greatest stand up and cheer moments in film history I guess
1: yeah I double checked it there was no and I could be wrong i have tried not to investigate this too much because i don't care that much but <laughs> i a cursory investigation says they did not put any bounds on this that it's not just within the last 23 years or so but uh it's an ex- i think it's an exclusively twitter award sorry i keep accidentally legitimizing it um sideshow it's an exclusively Twitter sideshow to do this thing and I think uh maybe a lot of people that would be the people that vote for this aren't really thinking that far beyond recent movies that sounds snobby but it's well, it's a little interesting
0: I mean you I, I don't know I think actually there was one moment on this list that I expected. Um, that I would have expected had you had I even known about this in advance, and that's the uh, you know Avengers Assemble. I think makes a lot of sense to be on this list, given that it's a fan vote, given that it's recent, given that it's you know from a, a massively successful movie. But I would have expected I would have expected other um, really popular movies uh, through the years to, uh, to to show up on this list, but that didn't really happen. And and what's what's even weirder is the fact that okay so. uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, The Flash Enters the Speed Force, which is a... a, I don't know what that means. I have not seen Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, That one, which is fine. It's it's kind of a joke anyway. And then the second place is the Spider-Man team up from the new movie. Not a huge shock. Avengers Assemble is third. But then you get... Uh, Effie singing and I'm telling you I'm not going from dream girls which is it doesn't seem like the same fan bases are pushing uh the top three and then pushing dream girls into it so I'm very I don't know I'm strangely fascinated at how dream girls wound up in this top five uh, and I i I don't know it was and then number five was uh, neo dodging a bullet from the matrix and the matrix is a movie i love to death and i never would think of that moment to put in a stand up and cheer list
1: yeah i guess i'm thinking the weird thing here is the other kind of fan accounts or directors that have stands that aren't here If with the zach snyder and the mcu here i'm surprised there's no nolan anything but maybe there's not much cheering and
0: how about jango shooting nolan. up the house in uh, Django Unchained. I mean, that's... Yeah. You would think that Tarantino has a lot of uh, fan bases, and you're absolutely right on Christopher Nolan. You would think that uh, some some moment from the Batman series, maybe, um, would make an appearance.
1: Yeah, or... I don't know. I, I'm dating myself, but, like, Avatar was a pretty big movie. But maybe just Twitter isn't really being used by old people anymore
0: and don't it's... <laughs> don't make me david chin <laughs> when it comes to avatar don't be the guy on the podcast who tries to convince me that avatar is still in the minds of, of moviegoers <laughs> everywhere <laughs> i still have never
1: seen avatar i'm waiting for the sequels <laughs> to come out i want to binge them yeah uh, this the Zack snyder's justice league the flash entering the speed force <laughs> for the first time Is legit the funniest outcome of anything that could have possibly happened. Yeah. A Zack Snyder recut of a movie from multiple years ago, like 2019, 2018 or something. Yeah. So it's ineligible for anything because this is not like a new movie. It's like a movie with that, like kind of a new skin. Yeah. Or it's like completely invalid. And. Is The Flash really the best part of this movie? Like, was this also a joke from people? I When I think of the Justice League, The Flash is probably like the fourth or fifth person I probably think about. And
0: yeah, like, could, I wonder, could we not have organized like a, a Mac and Me type of uh, award push for this? Could, <laughs> I feel like we could get people on board for that. But I just didn't know about it in time.
1: This is like the Rick Astley of... Of forces that's what the speed force is <laughs> i i
0: don't i don't know i don't i i don't know any like Zack snyder like super fans so i don't know how serious they are <laughs> i just it.
1: hear reference to them about stuff and you know review bombing things and being really um terrible I don't know it computer inter, singularity or something that's causing people to enjoy his movies so so much. But yeah. good for you, you guys did it.
0: That's a good take. I yeah, and and you know what's funny is I actually don't. I'm not really a Zack Snyder fan, but uh, there are um, there's a movie or two of his that I actually do really enjoy. So um, and maybe we'll get to him one day on this podcast. So that's I'm not dunking too much, but um, it was certainly. I uh, I don't know if it was a stand up and cheer moment for many for as many viewers, but it was a stand up and laugh and really cheer for this Oscar telecast moment for me when that happened. Uh, just a couple more notes: the in memoriam in this Oscars. Uh, my question: What the hell was that? Because it was some, I, I, I get the the I get the idea of wanting to make it a celebration of life, but. They were celebrating mighty hard on that stage during the In Memoriam, and it was very strange to me.
1: Yeah, there there are funerals with elegiac music. There are Irish wakes where people like have a good time. And there's an Oscar funeral. It's like, ain't no party like an Oscar <laughs> funeral party. Because the Oscar funeral party don't stop. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a lot of fun <laughs> um, talking about all those people that died. <laughs> Some of them you know, uh, died really early <laughs> They weren't, did not live to adulthood. Yeah, it was
0: uh, just another really, really strange moment. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the celebration might've been a, a bit excessive for the in memoriam. I noticed that wherever I go in my room, uh, Rami Malik's eyes follow me also. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw so. a
1: funny, uh, tweet and again, like Oscar night's one of the only it's, nights it's where I am constantly uh, updating Twitter uh, uh, for the the stuff that happened during the ceremony, but also people's jokes and stuff. Yeah. But uh, someone said, and I wish I I apologize, I can't remember who said it. It's just intaking so much, but like I can't prove it, but I think Rami Malek can see me through the TV.
0: <laughs> um, and
1: that it definitely felt like that. It felt like the Continental. The Christopher Walken sketch, where he's <laughs> just <laughs> relentlessly pursuing somebody.
0: <laughs> uh, well, speaking of, of tweets, uh, this is one of the funniest tweets I've ever seen before, and it was from one of my favorite movie critics, David Ehrlich, uh, from IndieWire. He tweeted this shortly. This was uh, when Will Smith was giving his acceptance speech, uh, which was presented by another strange moment for the Oscars. They decided to celebrate the... 28th anniversary of Pulp Fiction so they had you know, the, the tw- everybody was wondering what they would do for the 28th anniversary of Pulp Fiction um, Uma Thurman and Sam Jackson and John Travolta presented the award to Smith and uh, while he was giving the acceptance speech, uh, David Ehrlich tweeted this, John Travolta standing there basking in the fact that for once he's not the reason why everyone around him is intensely uncomfortable <laughs> and <laughs>
1: That's pretty good.
0: I loved that tweet. I saved that just so we could uh, read it on the podcast. Um,
1: I feel like the the Oscar the Oscar presenters and a lot of the montages. Like I think the uh, the producer this year was Will Packer, but it felt like it was sponsored by BuzzFeed. There's <laughs> like a lot of like it's been ten years since this movie. Check out these, you know. Yeah, there's like a calendar, a BuzzFeed calendar that ticks off. Like the white man can't jump. I actually thought that was kind of charming. I just I, I really too. love Rosie Perez.
0: Well, it's around um, number two. It's thirty years, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, the Juno one was a, was a, a bit odder, considering it's the what is it the fourteenth anniversary of Juno? Fifteenth. Fifteen. Yeah. It's it's okay. it's fifteen. Okay. But I, I, like, somebody compared it to uh, somebody I was talking to earlier today said, uh, "Oh, Al said it was like they." They just—they had a movie savant come and just—they uh, gave them a list of people that were going to be attending the Oscars, and they said, "Find some movies where you can—you uh, know—find a movie that three of these people were in, <laughs> so that we could uh, have them up on stage for a moment."
1: Yeah, it was—it 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 was, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was touching. Go there. Yeah, and a lot of the montages were, um, weird. The Godfather Mm -hmm. montage was a thing. I think a lot of people who, you know, it's it's its big anniversary. Yeah, and we, a lot of people knew Francis Ford Coppola, Al Pacino. You know, they're they're going to be part of the ceremony. Are they going to do a, a thing? And they did. It was introduced by Diddy, and it had not to be a purist, but it kind of had this like, uh, bad boys hip hop. Thing to it, like a soundtrack to it, and Pacino didn't speak, De Niro, who was not in The Godfather, <laughs> uh, a big celebrity, also didn't speak. <laughs> uh, it was not exactly a, uh, a coronation or a victory lap.
0: <laughs> it was really bizarre. It, it was, was
1: raising, is more like raising a, gra- a glass to like a drunk uncle and hoping he doesn't say anything too weird. For a lot of these,
0: oh, uh, and uh, yeah. So anyway, I don't want to linger too too long on these. My last thought was, what the hell did the last duel ever do to these people, and why would they dunk on it that way? That was that, was, that seemed really mean.
1: Yeah, um, it it caught astray stray for some reason. I don't I don't. It took a long time to get to it. Uh, it was it's a lot better than a lot of these the movies that were nominated, to be honest. It was. I liked it. It was pretty good.
0: I haven't seen it, but still, I've heard good things, and I just don't know. It's. I don't know why Regina Hall, uh, who's not exactly a box office, you know, queen, was was uh, tasked with dunking on the, the uh, box office failure of that movie. Um, okay. Well, moving on. Is there anything other? Uh, that, anything else you want to talk about ceremony wise before we get to the awards?
1: Um. Yeah, I got to talk Costner. Okay, uh, we're in several times where the ceremony ground to a halt. Um, four <laughs> things I listed here um, could have had the best speech ever when he started off. When I first, when I saw my first adult movie, and then the audience <laughs> started to laugh, and I thought, "All right, this is this is spicy. This is going to be a funny story," and. Uh, <clears throat> He, uh, he was not talking about that. And he did not <clears throat> acknowledge the laughter, smile, or do anything. I think he was so afraid to make a joke just because of the, the bar that had been set. Yeah. But also, uh, Kevin Costner has an accent now? This is, I guess, was this an extended scene from Yellowstone? <laughs> like, he's, he's now has a cowboy accent? I don't remember that in uh, the rest of his life. That's
0: that's new. I I don't know. But, you know, the moment also reminded me of. So, last year during the Major League Baseball season, they played a game at the Field of Dreams in Iowa Mm -hmm. between the Yankees and the White Sox. And before the game started, they had Kevin Costner. I don't know if they gave him the best directions on what to do. They had him just sort of wander around the field uh, for (laughs) like a couple minutes while, I don't know, and look pensive. And then he kind of gave a. I don't know if he. I don't know if he spoke to the crowd or if he just threw out the first pitch. But it was a really. Uh, it was a really strange moment that also kind of ground the momentum and excitement of that event to a halt. So I was reminded of that uh, when when this happened.
1: Yeah, um, th- there was a there was an energy to his speech that. I just did for my daughter. I, I was watching it in bed, with, which is the best way to watch the Oscars, by the way. Snacks in bed. I, I told my wife, I said, how he's talking right now, that is exactly how I read to my daughter when I want her to go to sleep right now. <laughs> That's how I read Cat in the Hat Comes Back. Like the halting, looking at every word you're saying rather than the sentence. That's, and and doing it like with a, Kind of a a cadence to it. That's exactly how I read to my daughter. <laughs> when when okay, I'm done with books and it's time to sleep right now. That's that's the energy I, I was getting for that. Maybe to segue, but it was only it was uh, saved by uh, Jane Campion, who won for best director. He presented best director by saying, you know, thanking him and like well, that was dramatic. <laughs> that's just so funny. <laughs> Just real, real Kiwi, uh, passive aggressive kind of joke. Uh, Kevin Costner, legend.
0: <sighs> yeah. So, um, all right, so, all right. So let's let's uh, let's delve into the uh, the winners, and we'll start at the top. Best Picture, Coda, is your best picture winner for uh, the ninety fourth Academy Awards. Now, uh, you know, I think. I would have picked something different. I think you probably would have too, but mm-hmm. that, I think that's a very common um, case. And I actually don't get too worked up when something I maybe the movie I wanted to win doesn't win, as long as it's a movie that I do like. And I liked Coda, um, so I'm I'm kind of okay. I'm okay with it winning Best Picture. I don't I don't think it's groundbreaking or really like a, a, an amazing film. I don't think it's the most inventive movie, but I. I liked it, but um, what were your thoughts on Best Picture?
1: Yeah, it's... I think I had it fourth behind a couple movies that I like more. It's like a three and a half, four star movie that was in a crowd of four and a half to five star movies in my book. Um, It's not... So there's a lot of instant reactions and whiplash takes right now. It's not embarrassing, which is the biggest thing. It's not Driving Miss Daisy in a year that doesn't even nominate Do the Right Thing. It's not Green Book over Roma and Star is Born and The Favorite and all those movies. It's not Crash. It's it's definitely better than that movie. Than those movies. Um it's it's one of them it's another it's a movie that has no blind, below the line nominations, so like no craft nominations. Mm-hmm. But that also is not the only mark of greatness for a movie like ordinary right. people. Um, Kramer versus Kramer. I think Kramer versus Kramer had editing or something, but also family,
0: family dramas.
1: Yeah. Movies about families. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, Joanna Robinson on the big picture was talking about it is those, a movie can be small and still be good. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's a good movie. I wouldn't have chosen it. It is not an embarrassment. Um, I think, um, it's going to be interesting like 10 years from now, when we look back, and Coda won over the, some of these other movies, but it doesn't mean that these other movies get burned and don't right. exist anymore. If anything, it's going to uh, burnish the legend more for things like Bower of the Dog. It'll be an underdog despite being, you know, 12 nominations in the nomination leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some, yeah, I just, I, I kind of bristle a little bit at the extreme take reaction of. Like, it's the, uh, it's the worst thing that happened. You yeah. know, it had, uh, another kind of stat here. It had, it was a clean sweep. It had only three nominations and, and three wins. It's three wins. You know, last time, uh, a movie with only three wins was a best picture winner. I, I don't
0: know. It was less
1: <laughs> than 365 days ago. Nomad Land oh. had three, three wins. It's it's the lowest nomination total since like uh, Grand Hotel in nineteen thirty two.
0: I had seen that it was the first Best Picture winner without a director or editing nom since uh, uh, since Grand since Grand Hotel, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, it went three for three, so it's the it's the last clean sweep since Return of the King, that went eleven for eleven, and. Last Emperor went nine for nine. Gigi went nine for nine. It happened one night. Went five for five. It won more Oscars than Wings, which went two for two, as as clean sweeps go. Um, it is. It, it was a weird year in terms of nomination stuff. Um, so a lot of these front runners have uh, issues with them that not everyone's going to like them. Yeah. The big thing yeah. for me that people forget is this is not the only account of the best movie of the year. I think the thing that fascinates me is this is the movie that people that make movies think is their favorite movie of the year. It's insight like you're looking at someone's top 10 list. It's mm-hmm. not a definitive um, not a definitive monument of cinema It's a snapshot into the psyche of an industry that is sampled, because the actual academy is some, you know, seven eight thousand members of a industry that has hundreds of thousands of members.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, in in I went off on a tangent, but it's not embarrassing. It's a good movie. I liked it. Mm-hmm. I would have picked other movies, but I'm not the academy. It's not a, a Russian autocracy where Brent, me, and you pick the one. It doesn't it never bothers me when my film doesn't win. It usually never happens.
0: Yeah, it doesn't bother me when my pick doesn't win. It and like you said, I actually don't think that the I think the Parasite was the first I went back and looked at all the years. I think Parasite was the first year since 1993 that the Oscar for Best Picture went to the movie that I probably would have picked as the best movie of the year. <clears throat> and so, I don't expect it to happen every year. And it's, it's fine that, I mean, Coda would probably be in my top 10 for 2021. I really did enjoy it. It hit, it hit me on an emotional level, even that, that kind of outweighed its faults for me. So I, I really did enjoy it. I, I think I would have been upset if, if drive my car, or I'm not Drive uh, don't look up had won. Um, that would have been a, a green book type disaster for me, but, uh, no, uh, code I, I got no problems with code. I I may have voted for Power of the Dog if I had a vote, um, but it's 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 fine. I liked it. Um, best director, Jane Campion won for Power of the Dog. Uh, do do you agree?
1: I agree that that happened. Yeah, uh, yeah. She was. I think she. I had her as uh, we you know on the side. A couple of us from um, the media bias. We kind of ranked ours are who we think who would be who, who we would vote for? There you go. That's the easy mm-hmm. way to say that. I had her number one, who did who did you have number one?
0: I think I had I should pull that up so I think I had her.
1: It's excellently directed.
0: and uh, yes it is, uh,
1: it is we now have three female uh, best director winners with Bigelow, Zhao, and Campion against 91 males so i think it's i think it's great to do that the weird uh not to go off on a tangent just the weird thing is that it won director and nothing else so what did i think uh, uh yeah. our uh, our tmbu buddy tj likes to say if you like it in investor if you like it in best picture well did it direct itself and this was like <laughs> that example i guess it it was just directed itself. There was no there was no cinematography or editing at play here. It was just the direction. I think so it, I it have... was a uh, sorry, I keep talking through your things.
0: No, go for go for it. I
1: was just I think it was second place in a ton of categories. Dune yeah. was a powerhouse in a lot of these that I think um, probably even a month or two ago, Power of the Dog could have won. Like Johnny Greenwood scores great, editing is really tense, cinematography is beautiful. I thought that cinematography should have won over Dune. Um, there's a lot that I would have had in second. I think Cumberbatch was probably second place there in in actor, but you don't get any recognition for second place.
0: I have a director, uh, best director trivia question for you. Mm-hmm. actually it's, it's two it's two true one's going to be easy and then the next one's going to be a little harder um, who's the do you know who can you name the most recent white American man to win best director uh, so US born white man Damien Chazelle correct can you name the second most recent ooh
1: <laughs> you have the, the three amigos for a lot of those years
0: uh, Spielberg is Joel and Ethan Cohen? Oh yeah, yeah. For No yeah. Country for Old Men. So this is a in fourteen Oscars we've had one uh, white American man win um, best director, which is uh, I don't know, you know, it's 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 uh, it's in, it's encouraging because I don't think I don't think the votes are being manipulated in any way to to steer it towards you know a more diverse uh, crew of recipients, but I think that it's a it's a good sign
1: you saying uh i get what you're saying through that trivia question brent you want uh white males to have their time
0: in this in the sun again right hey you know what we're gonna have this is gonna be our year because of the film men (laughs) (laughs) so i'm I'm very excited for for men to 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 really finally finally have something go our way
1: i got a director question for you do you know the last movie to get director and nothing else best director And no other, losing all other
0: Oscars. Gosh, I will guess. Ooh, mm, no, that's that was pretty visual. Um, I'm gonna be guessing something from this list I just looked at. So I would, I'll say, um, Ang Lee for Life of Pi. But that's probably too visual. He probably got some technical awards yeah. in there. It was
1: in 1967. Uh, a throwaway movie just won one award for a movie called The Graduate wow it's too bad no one ever (laughs) you know talks about that movie or ever watches it again
0: wow that's crazy yeah wow Mike Nichols for The Graduate alright so uh, moving on best actor went to Will Smith Um, obviously the, the, the other Will Smith stuff dominates the discussion but as for the actual category, um, how'd you feel about Best Actor?
1: Um, I like I said, I probably would have gone Cumberbatch. He showed me something I've never seen from him before. Used him in a great way. He's someone who's playing at being a cowboy. It makes him his 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 Benedict thing. I'm putting on an American accent thing, kind of work for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, last night notwithstanding huge will smith fan he's he's a charm factory and i've been watching him since i feel like i was starting to watch things i've grown up with him i've a lot of his blockbusters were some of the first movies i really remember seeing in like movie theaters Mm -hmm. you know really wanting to specifically go out to the july 4th weekend was his for a long time he's got a large Cultural impact on people of our generation. I was, I was how so excited for this to be his his coronation.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask how much of you, how much of this did you think was kind of um, career achievement in a way? In in that some 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 Oscars tend to be. I think that you know some actors put in a good performance, and the the every the sort of the the dialogue around the nomination becomes okay. This is finally going to be his year. Yeah,
1: the,
0: um, it's time. The Leonardo DiCaprio Revenant kind of. I'm not. I'm not trying to discount the performances in any way, but just there's that sort of. I mean, if not now, when? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, he's he's momentum
1: he, where he's finally going for it, and this can be the moment to acknowledge him and be one of the few African American African Americans to have Best Actor. You know, mm-hmm. Best Actor and Lead Actress are horrible in terms of representation. Um, I think a good bit of that. Uh, did you ever see King Richard? No. Uh, I did. I think he was probably the my second best performer. I liked that movie. Loved Anjnu Ellis in it
0: mm-hmm.
1: as uh, as the uh, the mom of, of Venus and Serena Williams. He uh, he certainly makes a lot of choices. Will Smith in that movie. It's it's not again a common refrain. It's not an embarrassing win. Okay. It's not, uh, like, Scentable Woman Al Pacino. It's time. We've never given him an Oscar before. You know, hoo-eyeing his way to Oscars.
0: Uh, best actress, Jessica Chastain, who, um, won for the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Again, I, I did see this performance. I thought it was, um, uh, it didn't, wasn't a win that surprised me, but I did see one other performance in this category, uh, Olivia Colman, and I liked it better, but, um, Again, I think the Oscars often go for more. Uh, if, if given the choice, they will go for more acting over uh, quieter, nuanced acting. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it's not always the wrong decision, but um, I think Jessica Chastain certainly had more acting to do in uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye. So, um, yeah, it, lou- louder acting at least. It wasn't
1: my favorite movie. I didn't didn't love it, but uh, she's really good in it. And for yeah those of us who kind of know what Tammy Faye sounds like and looks like, she did a really good job for being mm-hmm. like Jessica Chastain. <laughs> like she yeah. she she looks nothing or sounds nothing like that, and she's a well, she's another person who's kind of like an empathy machine in that movie. Just emanates empathy, and just it it's just nice. Jessica Chastain just seems like a nice person. Is this her first win of any kind? Yep. Yeah nominated was her third nomination uh she was supporting actress for the help Mm -hmm. Um, by the way the help keeps getting oscar winners if you're uh if you're an actress and you were in the help and you don't have an oscar you need to like you need to start rethinking things bryce dallas howard get on the phone with somebody getting just damien chazelle's next movie or something it's like five or six actresses in that movie now But that and, uh, she was nominated for lead in Zero Dark Thirty and didn't win, which I thought she was fantastic in, too.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then you liked, you really liked Kristen Stewart and Spencer, right?
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. The very divisive movie, but she's really good in it.
0: She's another actress who I think it's, it's, we're going to hit that point of she's got to win one eventually. She's an excellent, excellent actress. So, yeah, um. Great
1: the supporting great career pivot too. Um, yeah, now she's definitely taken seriously. The Olivia kind of S.A.S. movies. A lot of the... she's she's just really good. She'll get there. Mm-hmm. She's young. Yeah.
0: Best supporting actor went to Troy Kotzer from Coda. He was my favorite as well. Um, I, I didn't really have any expectations going into Coda, and he—I thought he was just really, really excellent one of maybe one maybe my favorite performance period of the year was troy concert
1: yeah was so. phenomenal um great such a moving speech too
0: oh yeah really he, nice the,
1: the the uh the asl interpreter getting choked up in it was yeah that's a very moving moment
0: yeah um best supporting actress went to ariana DeBose from west side story um she was very good i still prefer jesse buckley um, but maybe that's just because Jesse Buckley is just one of those actresses who can do no wrong with me so
1: yeah if you've heard the term like internet boyfriend like <laughs> Deb Patel being internet boyfriend I feel like uh, Jesse Buckley's internet girlfriend for a lot of movie people I've, I feel like I've been in love with her since SR and wild Rose in 2018 she's she's awesome and and uh, thinking of ending things um, yeah Chernobyl everything I'm, I'm here for her. She'll, she'll, again, she's young. She'll get there. Um, Ariana DeBose du is very good in it. Um, it's a great role for someone to win an Oscar, I'll say.
0: Yeah. But also, Ariana DeBose had a fantastic acceptance speech. Yeah. Probably probably my favorite of the night.
1: Yeah. So, incredibly moving as well. And yeah. I think it's the stat first openly queer person to win. It seems insane that that's true. I think a lot of... Um, closeted performers and people that weren't open Mm -hmm. about it great uh inspirational speech
0: uh okay moving on to original screenplay belfast kenneth brano won for belfast um it's like the eighth different category he's been nominated in or something crazy like that but
1: uh yeah he's got the record most categories being nominated
0: yeah um anyway I would have gone licorice pizza but hey I'm just happy don't look up didn't win I'll, I'll take the I'll take a pick other than mine in in return for don't look up not Winning.
1: yeah if, if Belfast had to win anywhere this is probably one of the least embarrassing ones I'm glad it wasn't that van Morrison song and I wanted <laughs> Troy to win and you know a lot of the other ones would have just been pretty tough if there's a contingent you know this used to be the best picture front runner belfast so kind of getting away with just original screenplay is kind of like minimal collateral
0: Mm -hmm.
1: collateral damage
0: adapted screenplay was uh i think probably the the better category this year um the stronger category and uh coda one which actually really surprised me i think it may have been like kind of I don't know if it's an upset in terms of like a true upset, but for me it was probably one of the bigger upsets of the night just because this is where I think movies like Drive My Car, The Lost Daughter, and really The Power of the Dog really stand out as better movie as better screenplays than Coda, which it's kind of the weakest part of the movie for me, is, is the screenplay.
1: Same. Yeah, I think the uh, the acting and the direction and like the the music rises above the screenplay a lot. Um, the the family kind of becomes a family a little bit despite the screenplay. Um, actors really bringing a lot to it, and to that point, the Sean Hader, the the director, you know, bringing that out in the actors. This was probably this was one of the ones where, unlike Best Picture. I probably would have ranked this as my number five choice out of this category. I liked all, all of the other ones better. But uh, um, I guess surprisingly, um, you say it was kind of an upset, but this was this was the uh, the odds-on favorite to win going into the ceremony.
0: Best animated feature film went to Encanto. Uh, I saw some people upset over. Um mitchell's versus the machines not winning but uh this is the only one that i saw was in Canto, so I'm, I'm i'm fine with it
1: i loved i did love both flea and mitchell's versus the machines probably have Encanto third maybe fourth i also really like luca what what the thing i didn't like most of all was like the disney princess lineup introducing the the thing is it basically weird. talking about This is the move, this is like a category you guys have to endure because animated films are for children and, you know, you guys have to see it over and over again. And that's true for some, but like this is the category that awarded Hayao Miyazaki. This is, there's, there's Grave of the Fireflies. There's a lot of Japanese animated movies that aren't, aren't for children. There's a lot of Mm -hmm. excellent animated uh, films that adults can enjoy too. It just seemed really condescending to an entire art form that's
0: my soapbox yeah and really we should only be condescending towards the snyder bros <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> um best international feature film uh probably uh, unsurprisingly went to drive my car I, I think that's i think best picture nominees tend to be i don't know it should probably be odds on favorites to win international film when they when they get into best picture but um I know the worst person in the world for Norway also had a lot of big fans this year. So
1: Yeah, I, that's probably, worst person in the world is probably my favorite movie of last year. I've seen it pretty recently, so i still got to jumble my list around a little bit. But uh, I probably would have gone for that or drive my car. I can't tell which one. But I just want to, It just as advocacy, Ryusuke R- R- Hamaguchi is not an Oscar winner. The Oscar for international feature goes to the country, not the director or the producer of a movie. So I really wish the Academy would change that. Yeah. Because that seems really insincere, especially like a lot of countries, international winners, maybe independent movies or they're a lot of them can have a grant from the country. But I feel like it takes away an individual achievement here. Amaguchi is, is receiving it on behalf of his country, but he doesn't. He might get an honorary Oscar, but he's, his name is not in Oscar history, which is crazy.
0: It's a shame. Um, the next category is going to be the one that's going to be the answer to a trivia question years from now, which is uh, what category was being presented when uh, the Chris Rock incident happened? Best documentary feature summer of soul or when the revolution could not be televised wins best documentary um i didn't get to finish any of these i saw a little bit of summer of soul and i really liked what i saw but uh your thoughts on doc
1: yeah i I saw four of these i saw attica ascension flea and uh the winner um summer soul a lot of a lot of great docs this year in that category riding with fire not available to be seen by the public it's the, the Chris thing of, I guess they didn't want me to see it. <laughs> they didn't <laughs> make it possible. Um, Summer of Soul is probably, it's in my top five for last year. It's phenomenal. Great. And just, again, collateral damage of that whole thing with uh, Chris Rock is that Quest Love's, I mean, who doesn't love Love? That should have right. been his, his moment, and I feel like he kind of stole from it a little bit kind of not too dissimilar from the uh, La La Land giving the award and someone having to tell Moonlight, you guys Mm -hmm. won. It's a crazy moment, but all of those producers and Barry Jenkins and stuff in that award, they were kind of shortchanged by the craziness of it.
0: Yeah. Um, Best documentary short subject went to the Queen of Basketball. Did you you see any of the shorts this year?
1: I didn't. On principle, I try not to. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. uh best live action short film went to the long goodbye which uh, made riz ahmed an oscar winner love riz uh best animated short went to the windshield wiper and very useful uh, so we, we, we don't have a lot of yeah it's the that's the most utility of all the nominees in that category uh we don't have strong thoughts there best original score went to hans zimmer for dune your thoughts
1: uh hans zimmer could not be bothered to attend or do a video <laughs> It's a we we talked about it when we did the don't look up podcast. Check it out; it's in the it's in the archive. Um, but it's a, the the talking point that got repeated a lot was Hans Zimmer invented instruments to to you know represent Iraqis and Atr and Euripides and all all those crazy Dune worlds. It's really great.
0: It is awesome. It's
1: yeah. nice that Hans Hans finally has a second Oscar. It feels like he should already have a couple by now. So here, here's, here's a, a one that you can, they can play kissy now with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're two
0: Oscars. He wins, he only wins uh, original score in movies where the king dies.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I actually watched, uh, I rewatched Dune um, uh, recently with my wife and, uh, we we have a new sound system in the in the living room, uh, a couple of new sauna speakers to add to the family, and we got the, the sub and the the arc in there, and it's just uh, oh, Dune sounds amazing, and I was blown away by the sound and the score in that movie uh, the second time I watched it because first time I, I, it sounded good, but this was just sort of more enveloped in the sound of the film, and it was it was really it was really good. So big fan of that score. Uh, Best original song went to No Time to Die. Um, I have not heard any of these songs, I don't think, um, except for, well, I guess I've heard the Encanto song. But other than that, I know they performed some of these songs, or they performed them all, I think, during the ceremony, but my daughter was refusing to go to sleep when the ceremony started, so we hit pause. And one of the best ways for me to catch up over the course of this uh, telecast, was to skip all the song performances because they just didn't really interest me a whole lot. So, uh, I, I s- still have never heard anything except uh, Dos Origuitas. Um, yeah, but, but that's
1: a good song. It's it's it not is. the best song in Bruno, obviously. The people have spoken. <laughs> it's Bruno. By the way, side moment. We're, we're going so long on this, by the way, but if you're going to do You Don't Talk About Bruno, and I don't know how, much, how many times you've seen it, my, my little girl is four years old, so we have seen it quite a bit. We listen to uh-huh. the soundtrack quite a bit. How can you do... We don't talk about Bruno without the seven-foot frame with rats on his back. I need <sighs> honest to goodness, pure, uncut, Colombian Bruno. Thing. <laughs> I want all the stuff that... Or all the lines that are in the memes and the TikToks.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. That is... That, if this The Oscars, pausing for an unnominated song for like six minutes of its runtime is kind of weird.
0: Best sound went to Dune. I obviously agree. I'm a huge fan of the sound of Dune. Yeah, Dune all the way. Best production design, Dune. Sure. Um, I think I might have gone West Side Story here, but I I, I got no problem with Dune winning. Yeah,
1: three horse race that, and despite Nightmare Alley being kind of eh, the production design is immaculate. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro knows what he's doing there.
0: Best cinematography also went to Dune. I would have gone Power of the Dog here, but again, Dune looked great, and uh, I got, I don't have a big issue there.
1: Same, but still, there's never been a female cinematographer to ever
0: win um greg fraser is he a newcomer to this uh to this award category because i don't i didn't know the name
1: he if you remember in 2016 the movie lion okay uh, he was he was nominated for cinematography for that movie got it he actually won the cinematographers guild that year beating uh uh is that the la la land year beating la la land and mm. all that stuff for cinematography
0: Best makeup and hairstyling went to the makeup of Tammy Faye and the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, probably not a huge shock, although um, I don't remember. I think I may have actually voted for Dune here. Uh, but any, any big surprise there for you? You,
1: you love you some Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. It's, it's kind of like the, the Iron Lady when that one makeup and Meryl Streep one or the, the Darkest Hour when that mm-hmm. one and then gary oldman one it's it's kind of the uh it's just that kind of thing
0: right it's pretty um, best costume design went to cruella which uh i voted for dune as well there but um i again solid costumes in cruella
1: yeah really good love jenny beaven i remember her in the mad max fury road win a similar dune run Um, that Mad Max did my beloved Mad Max I think she wore a leather jacket at the last Oscar she won just she's just uh, just a singular
0: person best film editing went to Dune which I don't remember where I had editing Um, I picked uh, Power of the Dog for editing but um, again don't have strong thoughts here
1: sure good job Dune
0: yep (laughs) And uh, Best Visual Effects, finishing up the Dune-a-thon with Dune for Best Visual Effects. I thought this was kind of a, I mean, I didn't see the Marvel movies this year, but I thought this was a pretty safe bet when I saw Dune. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, this movie looks amazing.
1: Yep. So it w- the sand, it,
0: sandworms were incredible. Dune
1: wins six Oscars, doubling the amount of Oscars the Best Picture winner wins. Um, do you know what uh, what movie has the most wins without winning Best Picture?
0: Oh gosh, hey, this is trivia that I've, I'm sure I've run across uh, before. What's the number? It's eight wins, no Best Picture.
1: Oh, my goodness. Eight wins, no Best Picture for this movie was rep- was kind of uh, referenced or side referenced twice in this ceremony.
0: Um okay. Side reference is,
1: is kind of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um I I I don't know. I don't want to waste too much time. I'll take so. away
1: some things it's not. It ma- six wins without best picture matches Mad Max, Fury Road, my beloved, La La Land, Star Wars. You heard of it? Six wins no best picture. <laughs> Gravity had seven wins no best picture, went up against twelve years a slave.
0: And uh I- I'm really not as good at this as you, so give me the year this movie came out.
1: Uh, it was the <laughs> it was uh 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 1972 or 1971.
0: 1971. So it lost to French Connection, I guess, for Best Picture. Is that 71? I'm um, gonna be
1: exactly 50 years ago. Is it, um, wait, is that 50 or 60 years? 50. That's
0: 50, 50. Yeah. Um, but it would have been the year before The, Godf- the Godfather came out in 72. Um, St- or did The Sting win in 71? I can't. Um, oh, is it... I don't know. Is it uh, Chinatown?
1: It The Best Picture winner was Godfather.
0: Oh, so it came out in 72.
1: Okay. Then. Well, the years are... The years are... Weird, them, they,
0: they it's confusing. They did for the in the Oscars, um, recognizing the best of 2021 here in 2022. That's they, right, it's they did it. anniversaries of movies in 2022.
1: Okay, well, it was uh, Godfather beat it, it was Cabaret, which oh,
0: featured Cabaret. Liza Minnelli. And wow, they
1: sang a bit of it at the very end. Eight wins, yeah. including Best Picture. No. And including best director, no best picture. <laughs> I feel okay. like I was about to break your brain there. Yes. You'd <laughs> be, be very confused. No okay. best, picture, best picture, but at one best picture.
0: Any other interesting stats from this year's Oscars or anything as we, as we finally close the book on
1: 2021? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say one thing against all my prediction people. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of your stuff. There's a lot of reaction that this Oscar was, was boring in terms of winners. That 22 of the 23 winners were the favorite. Only the animated short The Windshield Wiper was the second place according to Gold Derby. Um, you have yourself to blame. <laughs> if you are obsessing about uh, about all of these things and you are tracking what every single guild... Is is uh, is having win? You're kind of cheating. That the teacher is telling you this is going to be on the test, and you remember it. It doesn't mean it's boring. It means you studied. It may if you want to, if you want upsets or to be shocked, um, stop reading so much about it. Yeah, the, I, I, I I I bristle at that. That it's boring because there's no upsets. There is no upsets. Um,
0: because you figured it because out. Because you
1: figured it out, yeah. yeah. it. Coda seems like a weird Best Picture winner, but it won SAG and PGA. That combo has won every time that's ever happened except twice. Apollo 13 going up against an ascendant Braveheart and Little Miss Sunshine that lost to... It's time for Marty, the Departed. So every single other time, that has won Best Picture.
0: There you go. Yeah
1: that's
0: enough well that brings us to our uh selected movie of the week a mighty wind 2003
1: (laughs) honest middle of the podcast or end of the podcast check did you think we would do an hour on that
0: no i I thought we would probably do about 40 minutes
1: okay
0: yeah um such it was such an odd ceremony that uh i knew that there would be plenty to discuss um Okay, so A Mighty Wind um, was our assignment. Uh, what were your expectations coming into A Mighty Wind? Because you mentioned last week that you're, you've, you've had a, a tough time with Christopher Guest movies in the past.
1: Yep. Um, <clears throat> this is the second time I've seen it. I saw mm-hmm. it um, in the 2004 awards season You know that happened in 2004 for 2003 movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I liked it fine um that's the thing about something that's that's just nominated for one oscar you kind i tend to knock out the ones that are best picture nominees and the tons the ones that have a ton of um, nominations then usually towards the end before the oscars the ones that have your onesie twosies i kind of catch up with last sometimes i'm burnt out and i need to check it again to to see an actual reaction i kind of get burnt out a little bit
0: Mm mm-hmm So my expectations for this were didn't really have to consider it much. I've always really enjoyed a mighty wind. And so I I knew this would be a very easy, pleasant, laughter filled watch. Um, I think it's a very funny movie and I also think it's a very sweet movie. Um, uh, I think before we get to your thoughts, which is really the only mystery to this podcast (laughs) is what, what will be your thoughts on a mighty wind? Um, I think that Christopher Guest movies can sometimes be a little mean-spirited towards the subject, and I think he can sometimes treat his subjects with derision, but I think maybe A Mighty Wind is, for me, the movie that breaks the mold the most, in that I think he... I think this movie has a genuine love for folk music, and... Yeah, it has its oddball characters that you kind of can laugh at, and they are—they have their eccentricities and they're weird and whatnot. But I, I still think that they're treated with a little more love than normal for him, and uh, I think maybe that's why it's my favorite of his movies. Um, there were a few, a few jokes this time that didn't land. There was one bit that, in particular, I didn't. I think it just gets worse and worse with age, but is it the ending joke? It's the very ending joke, yeah. yeah. Um again, I don't think it's like horribly offensive, but it's just it's just it's played for it's just not that funny anymore and it's it's you know, it's a transphobic joke a little bit and it's uh again, I don't think it's particularly mean-spirited, but I just don't think it's funny the way it was probably funny in 2003.
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird last note. Of yeah, uh, I don't know if that was a musical pun or anything. <laughs> it's like ending <laughs> on a atonal chord or something, or not yeah. completing a melody. Um, yeah, it's it's played. Yeah, it's a, it's certainly a little transphobic, and it's kind of even if it wasn't, it's a really random final note when yeah. it has treated a full arc in the movie with a certain amount of grace. And that, that's okay to kind of do something different, but yeah, it d- didn't really work for me. I didn't remember it at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, I, th- I think I maybe found a few more negatives this time, but I still really do enjoy this movie. So, uh, now we'll throw it to you. What did you think of A Mighty Wind?
1: Um. I didn't mean to hold it back as much it's like the uh, pow- my power of the dog secret this whole time I was gonna slowly reveal it at the very end you'll you'll find out um it was it was fine for me mm-hmm. um, I'd probably give it three stars maybe three and a half um, okay I don't have the I think i some of these things I think you need to be a little plugged in. And I just don't think I have the connection to folk music. I didn't grow up with it. My parents didn't really listen to this kind of music. I never sought out this kind of music. It's not really in my DNA at all.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: like I said, it's it's probably the best Christopher Guest movie. I I would agree with that. Um, it punches down the least um, in its mean-spiritedness. Um I...
0: Would you agree that that is a, has that been an issue with you before with his movies? I, I'm curious what you, how would you describe your general kind of issues with with Christopher Guest? Because you mentioned really not liking Waiting for Guffman, which I'm I'm not a, a big fan of either. But uh, and so I was just curious, what in in general, how would you describe the your difficulty with his movies in that way? Um, or is it just not your kind of humor?
1: It could not be my kind of humor i'll, I'll yeah. say i think christopher guess is is uh, a patron saint of your mileage my very may vary kind of guy with his comedy
0: sure
1: oh yeah um i'm okay with mean-spirited dark comedies i think that there is something at the expense of people who are just um yeah i guess mean spirit is the best way to describe it and punching down the uh, mm-hmm. the Adam kind of McKay of it all, I think borrows a lot from Christopher Guest. Um, I don't mean to disparage either person by that, <laughs> by that description, but just for me, it's a little, um, I don't really find it that funny. I, I guess I don't didn't really laugh at all. Yeah. I don't remember laughing the first time I saw it. Same with Best in Show or... or I saw for your consideration. Also, didn't like that. Waiting for Guffman. Thought it was that was probably the most um, cynical mm-hmm. uh, of of the movies. Um, people who are just trying to to completely lampoon them. I don't know. I'm probably a hypocrite. There's probably other examples of this, but just his his style of doing it just just uh, strikes strikes a uh, a weird note for me.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, I just uh, I, I was thinking a little bit about the the, the punching down aspect and the the mean spiritedness of his uh, characters, but and I think I was thinking a good bit about it and what, why Mighty Wind is a little different for me, and that's that I think the subjects of a movie like Best in Show are the people who take their dogs to uh, compete in you know in, in, a, in a dog show, and I think that. I think there there can be a little bit of that look-at-these-weirdos kind of vibe to it. And, you know, look-at-these-weirdos who do local community theater. And I think those movies can be a little mean-spirited. I do think Best in Show is very funny, despite that. But I do think that maybe that's why I don't like that movie as much. Whereas, even though these characters in the folk industry are also ridiculous, they just... I never feel like the movie wants me to look down on them in any way. The at least the musicians and the the actual the people who love folk music. I think the truly ridiculous characters in this movie are the ones who are more on the periphery, the ones trying to, um. Uh, the business side of of folk music. The um, Fred Willard character uh, is the one that I think is is being the movie's a little bit more derisive to that type of person the industry sure. so to or speak or the
1: the pr firm with larry miller and jennifer coolidge or yeah. ed begley jr just making some choices
0: <laughs> yeah
1: there um, or or like the Steinbloom family gonna just yeah. just neurotic and and
0: but i do think that the movie generally loves its Subjects, uh, it's it's folk musicians, and um, I think that's why it continues to really work for me. Um, to varying degrees, I think it's I think if if there is a more ridiculous act among the three, I think it's the the or at least if there's one the the film doesn't like as much, I think it's the new Main Street Singers with uh they're they're sort of more um I don't know polished poppy sound and uh, maybe they're they're the more the, the sellout uh, of the uh, of, of the groups and mm-hmm. I, I don't know but it's, it's yeah, I think seems the like
1: I think the folksmen talk about them yeah. being sellouts they like mm-hmm. toothpaste jingles and stuff right I was gonna ask you if, if what was your what would your power rankings be for the three groups but I think it's probably I, I would guess it's Mitch and Mickey than folksmen than new Main Street
0: singers it would be and it's even though I think the if I if, if you ask me, having only heard the songs from this movie, who would I want to sit down and listen to, like, three albums from? I might pick The Folksman. But um, based on what we hear, I think they give the best music to Mitch and Mickey. And um, I don't know. There's a That's the strongest emotional connection in the movie, as it's designed to be.
1: Yeah. Another thing, just, just sorry to uh, go negative for a sec- second. I think some, sometimes Christopher Guest movies, they always are have giant stuffed ensembles. Sometimes I think his movies largely are overstuffed and don't mm-hmm. really serve a lot of characters or in lieu of actual character arcs, here's just more people doing more crazy <laughs> stuff that you can laugh right. at them for being ridiculous people that are just trying. Uh, this one, I think... Of the three main plots, it, at least Mitch and Mickey has an arc and has empathy and, yeah. and is treated with, with grace. I think uh, I think that one, it seems like that's probably Christopher Guest's favorite one to write or outline. I know some of this is probably improvised, but you, I think you can tell what the director is, is really pitching towards or leaning towards. Mm-hmm. for this movie
0: yeah i think actually maybe the best way to talk really about the the movie is just in all the the cast breakdown so um you have mitch and mickey played by uh eugene levy and katherine o'hara and um there are a lot of performances in this movie and in christopher guest movies in general where i i think my i would say i like this performance i completely understand if someone does not like like eugene levy's performance in this is uh is really kind of spacey and out there, but it worked for me. Um, yeah.
1: It's, it's some of his movies, the uh, Christopher Guest movies, comedies in general, you'll, you'll have actors that just make a choice and just go with it. And mm-hmm. sorry to bring it up again, but it's like the Mark Rylance of it all. The, uh, oh, sure. the oh, Peter yeah. Isher of just make a choice and go off in a direction it works or it doesn't. Um, Eugene Levy certainly made a choice. I don't know what an alternate version of this would be if, if he made a different choice. We got this one. It's, he, he certainly, like, here's a question. Did, are these like, because my background's not folk music. I don't really know, really know a lot of this stuff. I don't consider you a, like a Arlo Guthrie of this podcast or anything, It'd be a folk historian or something. Um, is Is Eugene Levy trying to, like, be a, a person that's like a real kind of thing
0: not that i know of. okay i think this is just his own thing okay that he's doing here as far as i, know. I was wondering if it was um, like a
1: medicated brian wilson type thing <laughs> yeah maybe that's the thing i kept thinking of is like you know that spacey years of drugs kind of thing
0: yeah it very well might be that that's a that's a pretty good comparison um I really like Catherine O'Hara in this movie. I like Catherine O'Hara in most things she's in, so it's not a huge surprise. But I do really like her as Mickey here. Yeah, it's um, the... kind of grounded, but and you can see, you kind of see the pain that Mitch inflicted over the years. Uh, she wears it well on her face in this movie.
1: Yeah, Catherine O'Hara, suit, you know, known for real big characters, especially Schitt's Creek. You don't have to bleep it. That's the name of the show. It's spelled different but like you know crazy transatlantic accent here i really love her Mm -hmm. here she's she's my favorite in the movie underplaying and really um really soulful of the 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 looks and the asides and the the unrequited nature and talk about miss connections movie hey connection to our last podcast i did it early (laughs) (laughs) um you you can feel the uh the the gravity of them together and like the yearning she does a really good job is and she still services the comedy um she she plays a lot of the comedy straight which is i think it's you need characters to do that especially in mockumentaries or satires you need that kind of person
0: mm -hmm. yeah and you know the, the the whole the whole movie that is sort of the building tension of, is the this this Mitch and Mickey moment, mm-hmm. and will it will it work and will it happen and what's it going to be, and I think uh, it has a great emotional payoff. I think I love their moment um, singing. I love the way the other groups come and watch them from the wings because. I love Michael McKeon's moment when he hears it playing after, after the folksmen have just had that, uh, frustrating performance where the new main street singers, uh, stole their opening song. And then they fought over who leaked their opening song <laughs> where it could have gotten to them. And then, uh, uh, Chris forget, yeah, or, uh, I guess, uh, Alan gets to start talking about the song they're going to sing to save time. And then just when Mitch shows up, the producer comes and tells him, uh, no, you're done. Get off the stage. And, uh, Michael McKean looks, or uh, Harry Shearer looks, extremely uh, relieved that they're not going to have to sing their song about the Spanish uh, Civil War. Um, yeah. Nineteen
1: thirty-eight <laughs> in the hills of Bartha. Good night. <laughs>
0: good. That, that was good night, pretty. everybody. I'll, I'll admit that was pretty good. You know, the the folksmen are sitting there just exhausted, and then he hears the song come on, "The Kiss at the End of the Rainbow," and Michael McKean's like. I remember this song. This is that really pretty one. And he just gets up to go watch and the Main Street singers have the same reaction. And they, I don't know. I really, I don't know. That That's a moment where I, I feel that moment. And I don't think I really feel moments in any other Christopher Guest movie. Um, so that that hit me. Yeah, that always hits me in a, a nice way. Yeah, um, yeah, part, part I love the Mitch and Mickey like story.
1: A, crying. Um, everyone yeah. being silent. They're, it's the it's it, it's like a tennis match. Both one looking at the other, the other one looking away, coming back, and then they they go for the kiss. It, it is it's it's uh yeah the movie approaches some magic there.
0: Yeah. Uh, as for the folksmen, I think it's really just uh for them it's just a, a a chance to get Spinal Tap back together and and play some instruments and and sing together again. Um, I don't mind it in any way there's i don't think the folksmen are particularly funny um other than just sort of It's, it's fun to uh hang out with spinal tap again and have the watch them go through kind of the same petty little musical arguments with each other yeah but
1: it's it's kind of like some it's the uh old man version of a lot of the the uh bickering from spinal tap it's kind of some some diet spinal mpr spinal tap
0: <laughs> NPR, that's good. The new Main Street Singers tend to go a little more crazy with the storylines and whatnot. Um, Jane Lynch is uh, a just a very um, bizarre character. Uh, I do think that I do think I do like John Michael Higgins in the new Main, Main Street Singers. He his uh, his his reaction to her talking about um, the very logical conclusion that we're all just uh, that humanity is just light made made whole or whatever just color color uh made whole it's uh i don't know i think he's i think he's pretty funny in this but yeah. a lot Human, of the a lot of the new the new main Stre- the new main street singers wears thin for me so but what's the quote
1: humankind is just materialized color on the 49th vibration it's it's like the anyone off the street can understand yeah. that right uh it's you know the the. This, Whenever I, I say a this. with you, know you, you, know I'm, I'm doing something. <laughs> it's it's hat on a hat a little bit. The new Main Street singers they just pick too many things. Um, it's it's ridiculous satire, but the rest of the movie plays it a lot, um, more sweater vest than this. Yeah. Um, it's the worshiping color, and she uh, has been in porno and. Mm -hmm. he was locked in a basement and he could only listen to bim bam boom and only going to bed with dessert and
0: and a daughter that that,
1: (laughs) unacknowledged that is on the street and found the music and came back. And
0: I will admit though, my, I think my, one of my favorite lines in the movie is there had been abuse in my family, but it was mostly musical in nature. (laughs) Uh, I I did like that line. Um, That along with um, Mitch's line of, I would love to see this town in the autumn. (laughs) Of uh, the uh, the the model railroad town in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any? Um, I mean, we don't have to go through all of this. Uh, the Jennifer Coolidge is another character, is another performance that boy, I, I'm sure mileage varies on Jennifer Coolidge in this movie. Um, she cracks me up, but I could absolutely see how that would uh, wear thin quickly. And then not listed is Fred Willard. Oh, actually, no, he's he's listed as the manager of the new Main Street Singers. But um, Fred Willard, I think it's hilarious in this movie. Uh, I, I love I love the Fred Fred Willard, um, the kind of idiot that he plays.
1: Yeah, the Fred Willard of it all didn't didn't work big for me. I don't know yeah. why. I like I like Fred Willard. He's usually the the, the stuff in these Christopher Guest movies. Like, he's he's probably my favorite part in Best in Show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of the other ones. Um, I do like Jennifer Coolidge in this. She doesn't she doesn't get a lot, but kind of a nah. little bit goes a long way, too. I think Jennifer Coolidge yeah. is an absolute national treasure. Her, <laughs> her line, the other thing I think was, was kind of funny. It was a smirk was, you know, thank God for model trains. They wouldn't have gotten the idea for the big ones. That's some, some yeah. inspired uh, use of Jennifer Coolidge there.
0: I don't... I, I, I am not going to disagree with that. I, I'm, I, I like her in this movie. Um, yeah, so... Uh, all right, well, anything you want to talk about regarding A Mighty Wind, now that we've given our review? Um, let, let me actually start, because I, I feel like we're kind of already on this, um, which is, what do you look for when reviewing comedies? Because is it just a matter of... just Does it make you laugh? Uh,
1: I think so that's uh yeah. does it work or not there's other mm. things like does it have a narrative arc do you care about the characters does it mean something to you that's where you're kind of taking is it more than a comedy is is kind of it, are you getting some frosting on your cake you know yeah no no pun intended there was a icing and cake analogy in this movie too um that's not a pun or anything that's barely a reference but yeah, it's it's uh, it works for you or it doesn't. If the yeah. comedy is is funny or not, if it hits you and some of that can be not the movie's fault at all. You didn't see it in the right headspace, you had a bad day, you saw it on your phone, you saw it by yourself. Seeing it with people um, is the most is the best way to watch a comedy, but
0: mm-hmm. to me
1: anything beyond that is is it a comedy and something else. How how about yourself? What do you, what do you look for?
0: I mean, it's tough for me. I think there are. This is where the letterbox grading scale gets really difficult for me, is with comedies because there are there are some where I think they're very very funny. They they hit my funny bone and like like this or like um, Caddyshack, uh, you know, just very various movies that I think are very very funny that maybe aren't well acted or don't really don't really take anything to a bigger level and I don't really know exactly how to rate them like um, there are comedies out there which I think are brilliant um, but they often are comedies that also verge into other territories like uh, I mean I think Parasite is a movie that fits a a lot of different genres and comedy is one of them Mm -hmm. Uh, I I know I laughed during Parasite quite a bit and um, it's I think black comedies like Parasite or, or um, I, I don't know, another example at the moment, but I think they are movies that, because they tend to be kind of dark in nature, they can kind of get away with, um, I don't know, they can be commentaries on, on something bigger. And they, they, they tend to be a little more, they have more to say than just a pure make-people-laugh-out-loud comedy, like A Mighty Wind or like... Um, the early Adam McKay movies, which I think are very funny movies that really aren't about a whole lot. Um, so it's, it is tough for me to review. So there comedy tends to be the genre where I might have a strong emotional connection to a movie, but not give it the highest rating. So I, I, it, it's a struggle sometimes.
1: Sure. Like uh, romantic comedies. You can be really into it for, for the romance if the the comedy's got to work first and then if the romance works it's like you got two in the hand you know you've you're kind mm-hmm. of comedy and then some you're over the top not over the top in terms of comedy but you got more going for you you're, you're hitting i don't know what's a good baseball metaphor five tool player or something <laughs> is that baseball or is that hockey
0: well if that is but that's the player who can do everything there you
1: go well you're, you're starting to stretch you're yep. a switch hitter that's not it <laughs> I'm showing my baseball range here.
0: so let me ask you this you touched on this a little bit and this is the other topic I, I kind of wanted to ask um, does, it, does it really help do you think to like the genre of music or have some familiarity when you're watching a movie about music yes yeah. I think so yeah. um, I actually and this is a good example I really do enjoy the music in this movie even the even the sillier music like the potato in the tater patch or whatever that song is. Uh, it's still, I don't know, charming to me, this genre of music. And, um, the music does a lot of the heavy lifting in, in a mighty wind. I think it's a, it's a big part of the movie. So I think um, it, it can deepen the, the experience
1: like a music yeah. comedy, like, um, for kind of an opposite area, like CB4, is kind of like a satire of rap, um, in the uh, the 90s like chris rock and people are in it knowing the references and the kind of things it's trying to lampoon um deepens the jokes and extends a lot of comedy some of the things if you're not familiar with it it could just be all right that's a song but if you know what the song's trying to to go for or you know the source of the lampoon it can kind of deepen its impact a little bit if you're completely yeah alien to it you can probably still think it's funny or if it's a uh, maybe outside of a comedy music movie if it's a drama music movie knowing yeah knowing more about it you could probably get more out of it like a classical satire i could probably if it's a if it's funny i could probably think it's funny but i might not get all the references and maybe that's just for the, the hardcore fans or for the most complete experience you it's it's playing with some of those, some of that knowledge, I think.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good point. And you know, it reminds me of a movie like walk hard where the, the more familiar, the more familiarity you have with all the sort of different movements in rock and roll music from the fifties on, then the more you're going to recognize, I mean, uh, Royal jelly in walk hard is a song that uh, mocks kind of Bob Dylan at his most verbose. And it's. I think I was howling in the theater when I saw Wallcard at the at that scene when he's, you know, like uh, I don't know, talking about all the the random stuff because it it was it was just spot on and I think that um that might just sound like just kind of random silliness to someone who hasn't listened to Dylan as much, but. Yeah. Uh, if you have that sort of baseline of, of knowledge, like you said, then that it can make the jokes much more funny. Yeah.
1: I wonder if like a, a Gen Z movie fan watching Walk Hard might not even know it's a comedy. <laughs> 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 I think this is just an over the top movie. <laughs> yeah. They, they probably would, but just as an example, they not knowing those references, they might not even know some of the things that are signaled as jokes.
0: Yeah. Well, what, what about your topics?
1: uh i'll just touch on uh one here like uh mockumentaries uh christopher okay. guest largely associated with uh popularizing the the movement um with uh he wrote spinal tap right rob reiner directed yeah, it and i think so he he took that format to a lot of these i think it, the format predates him a lot of it there's some seeds mm-hmm. of it in snl and other movies but uh yeah, now it's in a bunch of TV shows: The Office, Parks and Rec, Abbott Elementary. That's on right now. Going to TV, mm-hmm. it's everywhere. Um, what? <laughs> I don't even really know how to question this. I said, when do you mockumentary and when do you not? <laughs> what? <laughs> what does the mockumentary um, give you that like a music comedy wouldn't? I guess this is largely Christopher Guest's house style, but if it wasn't Christopher Guest movie, like what are you losing if it's not a mockumentary? When is it I guess just all of that.
0: <laughs> I can see I can see why Guest uses it because his subjects are the types of things I could see documentaries being made about. Mm-hmm. like here are all the people who compete at the dog show here are you know here's uh, i mean music documentaries are you know one of the dominant forms of, of documentary and i can kind of see why he opts for that for although i think it's less him opting for that uh in service of his subjects as much as him writing subjects in service of the mockumentary um form i I don't know when it's... Uh, do, are there instances, you think, where, where mockumentary was used when it probably shouldn't have been?
1: Um, I, I can't think of an example. Maybe I'll, I'll find it by the end of the sentence. But I think you're right. I think by the end of, like, when he's directing mascots and stuff, he's probably figuring out screenplays that can fit as a mockumentary rather than the mockumentary being the only way you could actually tell a screenplay. Or you know the the vice versa of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it totally works in like for your consideration and in, in some some movies. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just an it... alternate way to get in people's in people's heads, rather than, I guess, if you're if you're a if you're a comedy, especially, it's a it's a very effective way to package jokes every minute.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: You can cut to something that's totally off the wall or, Hey, remember this character. It's a good way to balance a large ensemble cast is to keep bouncing between them.
0: And it also lets you cheat a little bit where you can have characters just say their motivations directly to the camera. (laughs) If you don't want to have to try (laughs) to write difficult, you know, dialogue to, to reveal that kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, It probably also serves the improv nature of a lot of these movies and shows. It probably serves it well in that regard. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, uh, that's our review of A Mighty Wind. And it came out about kind of how I expected, I think. Um, I, and, and I think we're probably a decent representation for uh, most people approaching this movie, which is it's going to have some strong fans who think it's very funny and some... Um, who are more uh, lukewarm on it. Um, and then I'm sure there are people out there just who hate the style. I can definitely, definitely see that. But um, Christopher Guest as a whole, we kind of already touched on a little bit. Um, he started with The Big Picture in 1989. That's Kevin Bacon movie. Uh, Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. I think I skipped the Oscar race yeah. here we'll come back to it we'll do guest first yeah, we need um, a
1: break after doing oscar for an hour right
0: yeah waiting for guffman almost heroes <laughs> he directed almost heroes so i definitely think he found his style with mockumentary because when he doesn't direct mockumentaries they tend to be uh terribly disliked <laughs> um like almost heroes best in show a mighty wind for your consideration then You need to 10 your break i don't really know what guest is up to other than just being a baron um for this t- ten years between *For Your Consideration* and *Mascots*, which is a Netflix film, and then uh, a few years ago he did a, he directed a live concert for Loud and Wayne Rat the Third, which is a thing, another Netflix uh, venture. So, mm-hmm. um, where would you guess Christopher Guest ranks in the database? Um.
1: All right. Using my previous podcast knowledge, he has nine here. I don't know the classification of the Loudon, and Wayne, right and run, but nines, nines, not bad. Nine's, nine's, you're kind of getting started. You got, you got some stuff under your belt. Um, nothing here is pushing a four, a four-one, a four-two. Best in show is, is his, uh, is his best here, um, from Letterbox ranking. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's the definitive best, um, but you definitely got stinkers. Um, yeah. I saw almost heroes in the theater, by the way. Maybe Oh gosh. Maybe I'm traumatized by Christopher Guest, that's why I hold it against him. Um I'm gonna say do three twenty five. Uh
0: he is lower than you guessed. He is uh four hundred forty second. Number four
1: forty two. And who is he around?
0: Uh he is just behind Alexander Payne.
1: Really? That's interesting. I would put, well, I, I would have thought Alexander Payne would be a little higher, I guess. Maybe he doesn't make as many movies
0: as I thought. He has eight mm-hmm. films. Yeah, others that are nearby that I um, might recognize are Julian Schnabel. I've heard that name. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's ahead of uh, Mel Gibson. Is down in the 450s. Sure. Um, then again, Mel has five movies. Uh, so, oh, Richard Donner is down there in the four seventies. That's interesting. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's a top five hundred director uh, director for uh, for Christopher Guest. I think that's probably fair.
1: Maybe part of the Christopher Guest thing is maybe I just resent him a little bit. Yeah, you know, he's he's like a baron, and he started making these movies that punch down when he's already kind of a movie star and he's established. And he's married to Jimmy Lee Curtis. And he's just like looking down on all of us. <laughs> We're just trying. We're just people.
0: In the in the um, They Shoot Pictures rankings, his top rated movie is ranked 1,923rd and it is Waiting for Guffman.
1: Yeah, I know a lot of people um, are obsessed with that. Or big fans of that.
0: Ranked 2,175th is Best in Show and then For Your Consideration is outside the top 11,000 A Mighty Wind is ranked just just behind it just behind For Your Consideration which is surprising that is surprising it's ranked 11,523rd in the all-time movies list um, one behind uh, City of Gold a 1958 Canadian film <laughs> so <laughs> two ahead of The Cable Guy um, interesting it's which is strange. Um, I think okay. I'm saying it's underrated for that. It does. I'm not saying it has to be in the top thousand, but eleven thousand. There's no way there are eleven thousand movies better than A Mighty Wind. Um, okay, so definitely
1: more than for your consideration. Maybe not A Mighty Wind.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Nomination at the seventy sixth Academy Awards. The reason we this made it onto the. Um, onto the podcast it was nominated for best original song so it was up against into the west from return of the king which won uh the belleville rendezvous from the triplets of belleville scarlet tide from cold mountain and you will be my Ain't true love from cold mountain so uh okay i'm just gonna go ahead and say i think "It Gets of the rain at the end of the rainbow is by far the best of these songs it's uh Probably not my actual favorite song from A Mighty Wind. I think that actually might be the other Mitch and Mickey song that plays over the end credits. The um, When I'm Lying Next to You, I think is a, a very pretty song. But for the emotional impact of the movie, A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow takes the cake for me. And uh, I looked up a few of these. Belleville Rendezvous, I think, is in the movie, but it's just a, I, I don't know, it's an odd little song. And then I don't remember either of these songs from Cold Mountain. Um, and then, of course, we—you know my feelings on Into the West. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, where would uh, yeah, you—where would you? You land said on that this you calendar? were gonna listen to these before we started recording. So then I did too. I was gonna go in and sample them. Um, yeah, Into the West. It's here's my review. It's nearly six minutes long. Of course, for a movie like Return of the King, why wouldn't you have a six, five minutes and forty-five <laughs> second movie? Um, right.
0: it, a song that refuses to end for a movie that refuses to end.
1: Like four minutes of this song is basically urging the listener to go to
0: sleep. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think. I thought something was wrong with my speakers when I was playing it. I, I just kept turning them up and up, and I couldn't hear the song. It was.
1: Very and the quiet. lyrics
0: are literally like, "Your journey's over. Now you may go
1: to sleep, embrace your rest, and stuff." And I, I literally saw Lord of the. Return of the King multiple times in the theater because I was just that guy. And the second time I saw in the theater, I fell asleep during the movie. So I feel like I was doing what Annie Lennox wanted me to do um, in Into the West. Stinker. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Scarlet Tide, I don't remember this at all, but it's really T-Bone Burnett style, ritzy, fussing, old-timey music style. Um, Really trying to do that. I do remember Will You Be My Ain True Love from this one. Um, fussy, old-timey music, Sting style. <laughs> um, this is Sting and Alison singing it. Um, yet. Yeah. I weirdly don't think their voices really go well together. I don't know if they're like too close or not far enough apart from each other or too far apart. For whatever, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work for me. Um I'm going to disagree with you with Belle, Belleville Rendezvous. I think that, that song flipping
0: rips. It's okay. super fun. Okay, I'll give it another shot. It's like... Boom, 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 boom.
1: <laughs> it makes me want to watch Tour de France, which I think has something to do with that movie. I saw that movie in, like, 2004. So it, it's been a while.
0: Yeah. Uh, Would that have been your vote for for Best Song?
1: That being said, I give it to A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow. Oh it's, it's a very... I agree with... Uh, the Kingsman, it's it's a uh, I remember that song. It's it's, it's that sweet song, and mm-hmm. the uh, being part of the movie and part of the most magical part of the movie, you, they they really build some nice um, garnish around this song. I say garnish, I guess all the the feelings and stuff around it. The build up to mm-hmm. the song is really well done. Um, kind of like how like the uh, Remember Me song in Coco, it's integral to yeah. the movie. It's what the movie kind of. If the movie ended there, you know, that, that could be a, a good end to that movie. They have some mm-hmm. fun stuff with the coda of it. Um, yeah, I'd give it to that. Second place, Belleville Rendezvous, though. Put respect on Benoit Charest and Sylvain Cro-May's name.
0: So, even though Belleville Rendezvous didn't, go, get, didn't do a lot for me in the very quick little YouTube window that I tried <laughs> to watch it in before we started this podcast still far and away my number two mm. choice over the other three in this category which were just just instant snoozers for me yeah remember
1: um, cold mountain being a thing
0: boy that was big there for a minute yeah I,
1: I i another one i saw in the theaters and i was looking at the soundtrack on spotify there's like seven jack white songs on it i think he was so happy to finally be as old Tommy as his as he feels <laughs> he's like at peace in that movie
0: so do you think A Mighty win should have been nominated in any other categories?
1: Um, my short answer is probably no. Um, although there are there are really nice parts of this movie. I'm, I'm going to let you do the heavy lifting on this. I'll just say I really... I just really love Catherine O'Hara. She's a Canadian treasure. And her, her going for kind of the... Uh, um, Playing it, playing it straight and down to earth, and kind of the straight man in this movie. She does; mm-hmm. she
0: does a great job. I'll. I, that's that's the only one I was going to say. And I don't have a strong feeling. I don't necessarily think that like she was she was hugely snubbed. But uh, Renee Zellweger won for Cold Mountain. uh Aghdashloo for House of Sand and Fog was nominated. Patricia Clarkson for Pieces of April. Marcia Gay uh, Harden for Mystic River. And Holly Hunter for Thirteen. I could, I could take off Marcia Gay Harden maybe. Um, I, I, Clint Eastwood's a pretty good director of actors, so I can understand why Mystic River got the acting noms that it did. But I don't think she's, uh, I don't think she was particularly memorable in Mystic River. Yeah. Um, I
1: remember, I mean, I love Laura Linney. I think she's never won. I remember her being Sean Penn's wife, and I really liked her a lot more. Was surprised when Marcia Gay Harden got nominated.
0: I'd take her out and put Katherine O'Hara in for Best Supporting Actress here. So that would be the only, the only thing I would do. Um, other than uh, you know, this would have my top five stand up and cheer moments of 2003. I think would all be <laughs> in.
1: Yeah,
0: um,
1: kiss at the end of the rainbow. The, the Mick, yeah. Mitch and Minnie, uh, Mitch and Mickey kissing. That would be top five. They didn't, Mitch and Mickey didn't enter the Speed Force, but, I mean, only one person did, and that was Barry Allen, the Flash.
0: Bob Balaban uh, telling everyone to watch out for the apple blossoms uh, on the uh, floral arrangements out in the lobby. That's a stand-up-and-cheer moment for me. (laughs) So, uh, anyway. All right, so that'll close the book on A Mighty Wind, and that brings us to our next movie which you know a little bit about because we discussed it ahead of time. This is a um, 2001 movie. Let me give you a, do you, do you want some actors or something for this movie? Or do you want, um, do you want a tagline or some actors? What, what do you, what, what do you want? How do you want to tagline me, baby? Leave no man behind. It's not gravity.
1: <laughs> that was a very different year. That was 2012 or so. You said 2001? Yes leave no man behind uh, it's not Saving Private Ryan man what an overdone tagline it's not
0: Lone Survivor some of this cast includes uh, Nikolai koster Aha!
1: Uh-huh. and it might have a helicopter
0: it might <laughs> yes it does
1: uh yeah it's got a bunch of uh people that went on to be bigger people later it's black hawk
0: down black hawk down is our next movie which was nominated for i think four oscars at the at that ceremony so that's streaming on hbo go hbo max if i'm not
1: uh, mistaken ridley scott nominated for director um let's put some respect on his name after they dragged the last duel through the dirt
0: and Gucci, yeah, um, they
1: really hated him last year. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest; I have up not up. seen this movie in probably 20 years.
0: It's been oh, it's been yeah, it's been 20 years for me. I think like so...
1: college was the last time. It, it was a night a like a college dude movie, like Black Hawk Down. I think I might have put it on my letterbox, but that's just when I was like catching up on stuff I'd seen in the past 20 years because I just wanted to. Have all my mm-hmm. things on there because I'm a crazy person.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun to talk Ridley Scott, too, on uh, yeah, on, on the um, next episode.
1: We're going to be blowing by, like, eight or nine movies. He's probably got, like, 57 at least. Maybe 79 movies on there. <laughs> the dude's, like, almost 90. Oh, on the list? He, he yeah. did two movies last year and, like, two movies the year before. Like, two movies every year. He, like, doubles Woody Allen and Eastwood in their prolificacy.
0: Yeah, this was nominated for best director, best cinematography, best film editing, and best sound. So, so we'll have uh, we'll have that to look forward to. We'll probably take a little more time than normal on this one because it's a, uh, if if you need it, because it's a, it's, it's it's almost a solid two and a half hours. So, um,
1: should be fun with a a heavier, heavier movie,
0: uh, but the new Chronos Chromos. Sonos. There you go. Sonos. Yes. The new speakers. Not, not designed by Guillermo del Toro. Or, or uh, yeah, it, it would be great if it was, uh, um, but okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this, uh, you know, extra podcast that we, we've done two podcasts in one, basically. I'm not calling us extra, but I'm saying you that can, the, if you the, podcast, the, uh, it was, was, it was a two for one episode. And, um, uh, Anyway, we'd love, to, we'd love to hear from you, to hear your thoughts on the 94th Academy Awards, particularly the awards section of the Academy Awards. Um, but uh, please subscribe to hear the nominees. Uh, you can find our home is at com, And, uh, yeah, most important thing you can do is give us a rating and tell your friends. And, um, you know, just give us some feedback. Say hey. Come join us at Effectively Cinefiled. And uh, did I miss anything, David? I think I missed some Twitter and other yeah, stuff.
1: at the uh, Media By Us. Uh, Gmail is the Media By Us at gmail.com. If you're uh, If you're uh, If you like Avatar, <laughs> you used Twitter the last time five years ago, you probably still <laughs> sent emails, you geezer. <laughs> well... All right, so uh, uh, I guess that's it. That's it, and if I could say one last thing, it's E-A-T-O-S. O-S. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, thanks, David. All right, talk to you next time.
0: Bye.